Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hear Me See Me podcast is sponsored by Zenoti, the number one cloud software for salons and spas. Because when people feel good, they find their greatness. I am Stuart Roberts, and I'm really excited to introduce my new podcast, Hear Me See Me. It's just over five years ago, I did something that changed my life. What it did, more than I could have ever realised, it helped me. I have met some absolutely amazing people, some of the people that work in some of these places. Many of them are volunteers, but some of them, it is their job. I'd had this idea after being inspired by a guy in America I'd seen cutting hair on the streets and seeing the difference it made to the guys who were there. This is more than a job. This is a calling. Hello, this is Stuart from Hear Me See Me podcast. Uh, and I, today I've got a wonderful lady with me who I've sort of known... For a while, there was this name that kept popping up, you know. She's been a long supporter of Haircuts for Homeless. So, and all of a sudden, it, it, it sort of came about that I realised who she was. So, I've got her on the podcast. Today, I'm talking to Dulcie Shepherd. How are you, my lady? I'm really, really good, thank you. Yeah, I'm interested in that. I'm the lady that keeps popping up. I would say yeah. that a lot of people say that's very true about me. <laughs> it was really surreal because I kept saying because it's quite an unusual name Dulcie it's not a regular you know so as soon as I saw Dulcie on something else I thought I know that name and then I realised that you've been a long supporter but before we talk about that let's talk about because you've written a book called uh, Not Bloody Rocket Science and I love the title of that so <laughs> tell me tell me about you know what led you to write that and then tell me about the work behind it Okay, well, the other thing about my name is that I've now been married twice and I'm now Swanston. So I'm now Shepherd. Oh. I'm, no, it's fine. I've kept Shepherd as a middle Christian name and Swanston's a new surname. So whenever people are like looking for me, they're like, are you still Shepherd? Are you something different now? And they're really confused. So um, that's another reason why I'll have further confused you by popping yes. up as different. But they are all me. Um, it's not bloody rocket science, was. Um, a real labour of love, I've got to say. But it started off when uh, my client, so I, I work as an executive coach and I also train people in um, leadership skills, I suppose. But I train people right from exec level to graduate level. I work right, I work across loads of industries and I love what I do. And people kept saying to me, you should write a book about this stuff. Because what I specialise in is taking what is fairly complicated science, which is about how we are wired to behave, how we believe things that may not be true. And I take all of that neuroscience and psychology and I try and make it so easy uh, that you or I or anybody else, regardless of level, regardless of like academic ability, can just go, oh, I get it. Oh, bloody hell. And then I, I got this reputation for going, yeah, it's not bloody rocket science, but it, that doesn't mean it's, it's not hard. It's, not easy, it's easy to do something about. Yeah. And because I'm from Yorkshire um, originally, it sort of fits with that. And people used to say, you should write a book about it. You should write a book about it. And I thought, you know what? I've got five kids, two dogs, and a really busy life. How am I going to find time to write a book? 
But um, I've got a tease made that I can see just here. And what I did is I just used to set my alarm for half an hour earlier and just type it out. Um, and I basically then send it to a few people when I got brave enough. And we're, this is like a three, four year process. I don't think I've ever written anything, but you never send it to anybody. My husband once made the comment, he said, there's a real issue with you being a writer. You don't actually want anybody to read what you've written. <laughs> but eventually I showed it to a very good friend of mine who'd worked in publishing all her life. And she went, I, w- I wondered when you might show it, mate. Oh. <laughs> and she helped me to find a fantastic editor, a brilliant typesetter. And um, we went for it. And it's just been lovely because people have been really generous enough to say it's really helped them to do different stuff, not just at work, but in their lives. And that's all I wanted was to have something that people went, God, this is easy to read. And this isn't full of like stuff I don't understand. It's like easy to read psychology and neuroscience that helps you live your life a little bit better. Yeah. So now I'm, and I'm just chuffed to be talking to you about it. So thank yeah. you. So uh, tell me, uh, go back, go back to you know what was what was your your upbringing like? So I like to go back to that to see yeah, sure. you know what forms you as a person. So where where did you do you grow up in Yorkshire? I grew up in South Yorkshire, um, a mile from a pit village, which um, my family didn't work in, but my granddad was at Orgreave, which is um, famous for all the wrong reasons. But I was always really, really proud um, to be a miner's granddaughter. And um, equally, he was really proud when I then became the first person in our family to go to university. And even more proud, I've got to say, when I got my first job, Stuart, which was working for a brewery, and I used to get a beer allowance. So I walk here to his local pub where he'd tell me, oh, yeah, come and meet me at the pub and pick me up. I think it was simply because his granddaughter was bringing him a slab of stones that was free with her job. And he can go, yeah, you know, this is my clever granddaughter. And I think she does work. So I, I come from, um, I would... I mean, we started off as working class, but my mum and dad worked really hard and they became, my, my dad became a manager in his job. And I got to do a bit of work experience with him really early on. And people used to say, oh, you know, your dad's a really good boss. And I, I think even from then I started thinking, oh, what makes a good boss? What doesn't make a good boss? And I just became fascinated. I did sociology at school, which was the only slightly left field thing because our school was one of those that didn't, you know, psychology wasn't even a thing back then was it it's like you know it, it was a straightforward school but I had to do biology because there was nothing else that was on offer I could do I'd done English and that was my passion um so I grew up with this strange mixture of um sociology and, and thinking about how society worked biology because it was the only thing I could do at a level because everything else didn't fit the curriculum in English so I sort of became um interested in really quite different things so science and words at the same time and then um it sort of evolved from there really I, I went on to university went to Newcastle loved it um but you know my heart's still in Yorkshire although now a little bit of my heart is in Newcastle as well but I now live in the Midlands um but I think if you're from the north you you, you never forget your roots do you so I kind of go oh yeah I'm from Yorkshire via Newcastle yeah, yeah definitely <laughs> What, um, so where did you first then go? Like, what did you do after university? What was you working from there? Oh, I tell people this story and I, I tell graduates this story because I, for a lot of my later career, I had the brilliant job of 
leading young people. So I was in charge of a really big graduate scheme. I worked for a company called Mitchells and Butlers, which any of your listeners will definitely have been into one of their pubs because they run All Bar One, Toby Carvery, And when I joined them, they were part of a really big global business called Bass PLC, which again, everybody's heard of Bass. At that stage, that had Intercontinental Hotels as part of it. It had um, Gala Bingo, Coral Betting Shops. So it was a really big organization. And um, I was lucky enough to to be in charge of the graduate scheme at a couple of points. And it's that the best job you'll ever get is like bringing young people in fresh from university and helping them to become leaders. Yeah. And I think that that's what enables me to do the job I do now because they're now CEOs and they, they remember that I know where all the bodies were buried <laughs> and, I really, and I really helped them out when they were in trouble and when I've made a really big mistake and I'd go, listen, don't worry, we'll go and sort it. And I think you never forget the person who does that yeah. for you. Do you? So, um, but I used to tell them this story that um, don't do what I did because I wanted to be an actress. And I went up to the fringe and my ambition was to sort of be spotted to go into something like rep theatre or something. Mm. And um, my dream came true. I got spotted to go and join a rep theatre in London. But what I'd realised was that I didn't want to be an actress because previously what I'd done was done a three-night performance of something, yeah? So it's, like, really brilliant. You, like, rehearse something, and then you go and do it for three nights, and it's amazing. Um, the play I did in at the Fringe, we did for 40 nights. And after, like, night five, even though I was trying to, like, pull something different out of the bag every night at eight o'clock, the, the routine for me of saying the same thing every night for two weeks just wasn't me. And... Yeah. You know, I don't know how many people have that revelation before they go and try really hard to be an actress, but I was really lucky because I could have spent my whole life mm. trying to be an actress. So I went back to mum and dad and said, listen, acting's not what I want to do anymore, actually. So I'm thinking I'll be a teacher. And they went, well, you best have some money saved up because there's, there's no like extra cash for another year at uni, so you might need to find a job. It's like, all oh, right, okay, no problem. So I went to look for jobs, and by that stage, all the closing dates had gone. Yeah. And I was like, well, what do I know something about? And I thought, I know about pubs. Yeah. So I thought, you know, I know about acting and I know about pubs. So um, I applied to Bass PLC as they were for their pubs bit, not because I'd done extensive research, not because I'd thought really deeply about what I wanted to do when I grew up, but because their closing date hadn't gone. And uh, I, had, I had a brilliant interview with a guy who was a really senior exec at Tango at my last, um, last stage interview. And I came out, do you remember when Tango did the exploding oranges? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Got a tie on. And kind of my claim to fame is that I didn't think I'd come out of the interview with the job, but I did come out with his tie because I was like, <laughs> we were just talking about football and how cool his tie was. And I look back now, Stuart, and honestly, I think, oh my goodness, you were so naive. But I guess that somebody in that business must have just seen something about my personality or my drive or my energy that made me think she's as far away from the finished article as it's possible to be, but she's got something. And I was just lucky enough to have a number of people in my career after that who who helped me to tame um, the excesses that you have when you're exuberant and as energetic as I am to help me out of some of those pits that you fall in when you don't get it right and you've got really good intentions still failed 
and just gave me some great feedback along the way about actually you need to stop your face doing that when somebody disagrees with you. <laughs> so, you know, a bit of political savvy. <laughs> I've got um, one of those faces. <laughs> yeah, well, mine's quite good now. And uh, I've also put up poker as a result of, of having quite a good poker face. But, um, yeah, I was just, I've got to say, the first bit was really lucky. But then I'm a big believer in you make your own look after that. And, yeah. um, you know, but I, I, I always said to graduates when I helped them in their first years, I hope none of you came to us with through the same route as me which is like oh quick i best get a job and that their closing date has gone so they'll do but don't you think <laughs> don't you think that nowadays that, that i mean i remember similar things myself from that time um that they you did sort of manage to fall into these things you did manage to scrape yeah. through but it's a different world now isn't it so you know they have to be really prepared that be focused totally. yeah and, and totally. you know you, that, that i really i don't think them sort of things happen so much nowadays do you I, d I don't, and I've, we've got five teenagers between me and my husband, so it's a, it's a really busy household. And I've got to say, I felt for them more than I felt for myself during the pandemic and about what's coming next for them, because it's, it's a really different world out there. You can't, um, you can't do what we probably did, which was go and get a job, work hard and buy a house. And I know we'll come on to, to homeless and issues later, but um, you know that that idea that if you work really hard for a couple of years, you could you could put a deposit down in the house just isn't true for them anymore. No. And so their expectations of what they want from work has changed as a result. They no longer see it as transactional. Well, I'll do this and you'll give me this, and therefore I can have this. It's much more now about an organisation meeting their desire to grow themselves. They want they want a sense of belonging with an employer. And all that sort of stuff was kind of important when I first started work, but a lot less. It was much more like, oh, okay, so if, if I do this, you'll give me this, and I can see progression. They're much more about self-actualization and fulfillment, and why wouldn't they be? Because the world's a different world to work in and live in, isn't it? So but I, I felt really sorry for all. We've got teenagers at all the different levels of, like, missing GCSEs, missing A-levels, missing a year of school, been anxious and not wanting to go back to school we've, we've kind of seen a really broad range just in our family and I've really felt for them I've got to say you know I think as grown up we've just muddled through haven't we for them it's been you know they've had half their life just you know the point in their life where they're not supposed to be with their parents and their parents are not supposed to know what they're doing they're in your house and you know on their phone seeing their you know, watching their every the house well we've got that in common because I've got five children and I've got four okay. grandchildren so, and it, you know, mine sound a bit, a little bit older than yours, but like our, our youngest, you know, she spent, she was so devoted to musical theatre. Now, yeah. She, yeah. Uh, she, you know, she had that little taste early on. She, she was on uh, in Oliver on the West End. Uh, oh wow! Yeah, quite a long time, and then that was at a young age, and then so then she just when well, that was what she wanted to do, you know, and then she done the three years uh, at college. And just as she came out, was at the end, it went just before lockdown. So then there was nothing. And unfortunately now, she's just lost it, lost her, lost uh. her hunger for it. And I understand it. I don't see it as quick. I just see, I can understand why. Because you've, it's just starting to emerge now, but you've got, you've got her, her year and the year after has sort of been left behind because the year that's coming out now are going into a, an industry that's opening up again. You know, so 
there's this missing two years, you know, because it was devastating to the 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 yeah, you know industry. Oh, uh, you know. And my other daughter, she's in. She's just finished uni, and lucky enough, we went this week uh, to see her graduate. But that was from last year. So, and it was it was delayed. But then even that was not quite the same. I was on, in masks on the stage and they couldn't do the yeah. together. And, you know, I, it just, you do feel for them because I feel like there's a whole, like, uh, generation there that it's going to be interesting to look back on in a few years, isn't it? You know, like what they're going to say in 20 years' time about, oh, well, when, when I was young, you know. Yeah. The world stopped. <laughs> What I've tried to help mine with about recruitment is that any good company will be looking at their CV with that in mind. Um, yeah, and for yeah. me, stories about resilience. So I, yeah. I try and encourage my kids as much as, I mean, you, you'll know full well that they won't take one single piece of advice from you. So, you know, you're wasting your breath. But I'm, I'm kind of thinking somebody else picks it up and tells them and then they go, oh, yeah, no, that, that this, yeah. you, you want to hear what such and such has told me, Mum, and you go, brilliant so yeah. so pleased that's a, that's a great bit of advice forgetting of course that I'd tell them the same piece of advice you know six uh-huh. months ago but accepting that I try and help them to understand that what's going to um set them aside a bit at the minute is is people will say well what did you do in lockdown and like well, what did you do what did you do and not just what did you achieve because that's not what it's about for lots of people how did you survive how did you keep yourself yeah um you know, reasonably sane. How did you keep in touch with your friends? How did you try and be kind to people? And just have some stories about how you used it as an opportunity to, to think about yourself and your resilience and, and have 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 a story to tell about that. Not because it's a, a made-up story, but because it'll be those sorts of things that our employees are interested in because they will fully recognise that with a year off school, um, you're not going to necessarily have got the grades or there'll be gaps or, you know, you just didn't have as much social interaction for a couple of years and all that stuff is going to take its toll. Um, so that that's where I'm hopeful is that when our young people go into the workplace and when they're growing their lives, maybe it will have, you know, they say what doesn't kill you makes you stronger and, and it's an awful phrase, isn't it? But I'm hoping that it gives them something that we we can't appreciate yet. We don't know what it is, but I have to pin me hope on that because otherwise, you just go. This two years has been horrific for them. Yeah. I'm thinking, no, maybe in, maybe in a few years' time they'll look back and go, do you know what? I wouldn't want to live through that again. But it did, it did give me a, something here, and it, it yeah. gave me a different way of seeing this here. That's that's the thinking. And there is that thing of um, with an employer or you know anything like that that, that you know, what you went through. You had, a, as you say, you, you had a horrendous interview, but they saw something in you. So there is that thing that a good boss or a you know a good uh, recruiter will see through that there's something you know there's something shining through. Uh, yeah. and that's, you know, so it's it, it, that positivity is the thing that they'll look for. I think. I think so, and that, you know, there's lots of indicators about what makes people high potential. For example, so I do a lot of research in that area. So I do quite a lot of research, and then I bring it into business, if you like. So, yeah. and there's a lot of science around the fact that you know that learning mindset. So actually, just never wanting to stop learning is one of the things that actually, as a quality, 
if you spot that in people, that they're more likely to have higher potential. And, and building resilience is another one. So quite often when I'm talking to people, I say, you know, if you've got a desire to learn and, and you never think you're finished, I, I've got a quote where I say, if I'm finished, I'm finished. Yeah, uh, you, yeah. If you never stop learning. And if you, if you deliberately build your resilience, for me, they are two things that enable you to succeed. I think then when you get experience and you're able to make decisions when things are ambiguous, that's the third one I'd add in. But you're not going to have that as a teenager. So for mine, I'm like, resilience, and I'll just keep learning something. doesn't matter what the thing is. Just keep growing your brain. Just keep looking for not being finished. Don't look to be right. Look to be wrong. Yeah. Um, trust the brain to just be curious. Yeah. And yeah. Um, if I don't teach anything else, if they listen to nothing else, and I'm the other two strands that eventually yeah. go in their heads. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I, had great, I had a great one that you said about the kids not listening because I, um, I went into recovery 15 years ago and a guy came in more or less the same time, a little bit after, I think, called Paul Hannaford. And he's been a guest on my podcast. And he's an amazing man. He's an ex-drug drug addict and, and dealer, like, you know, a very naughty boy. <laughs> and he looks yeah. smart. And he spends his whole life now going to schools and football clubs and, and teaching kids that there's a different way. You know, he's, he's an amazing, amazing guy. Um, and it was funny that then he visited my kid's school. <laughs> and came home <laughs> Did, did they make a connection? No, well, no, 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 they didn't know at first. So they come home and they said that this guy, Paul Hannaford, has been at their school and he told them all these things. And then they started really, just like you said, oh, and he said about this and about this. And it's all the things I've been saying, to, you know, that I'd learned through recovery and I've been trying to instill on the kids. And they went, oh, and he said this and he said this. And I went, oh, and I got, I got, it was really funny. Like I was like a little child. I got all like, I went, well, I've been saying that for years. <laughs> <laughs> and then I went, here's a mate of mine. And I went, oh, you know him? <laughs> I went, yeah. you know him, yeah. <laughs> How do you know him? Like, he's a really cool guy, Dad, you know. <laughs> yeah. And uh, if ever you get a chance, like, ever listen to him, a back episode of mine with Paul Hannaford, it's just an amazing, you know, he sort of... Uh, he typifies the positivity and moving forward, you know, and that thing of, you know, the, 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 this is an interesting one that the headmasters kept saying, they still have headmasters. <laughs> 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 they're called head teachers now. Oh, right. The, the head of, they would get him in and say, look, we've, all our, we've got trouble with all our 16 year olds. Come and talk to our 16 year olds. And he was saying, no, get me in to talk to your 10 year olds. Yeah. You know, you know, don't get me in. You know, like get. We need to get in early, and then let me. Then I'll talk to the whole school, um, and and that's that thing. And I think there's a thing nowadays of trying to put the fire when it's out, when it's started, instead of trying to stop it starting in the first place. In you know, all sorts of um, things in life. Well, I'd I'd love to connect with Paul. We're doing a side. I think this is going to keep happening, isn't it? We'll do an aside, but I'd love to connect with Paul because we're doing. Um, I'm working with my neuroscientist um, coach friend, um, and he's done a lot of work in schools. But we're just about to start a project around neurodiversity and how actually we need to start thinking of that at quite an early age at school, so that the way that classrooms are set up, the way that teaching is done, doesn't accidentally mean that we're missing a whole load of talent and and you'll probably know from your experience that when particularly younger boys than neurodiverse it can lead to behavioral problems and, and that doesn't need to happen 
because then the behavioural problems lead to being dealt with in a particular way. And actually, we've just got this vision of if we could help people to understand what's going on in somebody's head, would you make the same decisions about how you tried to teach them something? If you know it's not going to work sooner rather than later, don't you save a barrel of of trouble for yourself? So we're, we're trying to use my skill in terms of making science really super accessible and his skill in actually being a neuroscience, so knowing how the brain works. And we're working with a number of neurodiverse leaders so that actually we, we, we're bringing all of those things together to try and do something. It sounds as though Paul might have some really interesting experiences that, yeah. you know, different feel, but really interesting to bring into them. So I'd, I'd, I'll definitely go and listen back, but I wonder yeah. if you'd be kind to introduce us. It might, it might be that we can help each other out. Yeah, yeah, I will. Yeah, most definitely. Because um, I, I find it, it I think, because I've... I've I'm a I'm so lazy. I hadn't really, you know, like really in depth researched what you do, but because I'm too lazy for that. <laughs> but I did see what it was, and I did understand. But the 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 thing of the neuroscience really intrigues me because um, there's a, a company in my industry called the Fantastic Hairdresser, and uh, run by Alan Austin Smith, and he he's been doing this for years, and he's a really forward thinking person. He's been, you know, doing this for a long time. And some time back, uh, I, they were looking for coaches, and I, I actually was one of their first ones, and I learned all about that. And we had a guy called Ian Banyard come on board, and he taught us all about neuroscience. And, yeah. you know, it was fascinating. And me coming from the other end, I, I didn't end up pursuing it as a career, uh, but I just found all of the training so valuable in yeah. my work with recovery. Because what we yep. do, you know, learning about how the brain works, learning about, you know, how thoughts of things and um, neural pathways and breaking those. And, you know, like it, it, when you leave it to people who, who, who are in recovery or, or need in recovery, you know, it's just a fascinating thing, you know. And I've, I've, uh, it, it's really helped me with when I'm doing my other work, which is with people with uh, alcoholism and, and drug addiction. Well, as, as you well know, there's something in the brain that says you can't tell somebody to stop doing something. If you say, don't have a drink, um, you're basically going, drink, drink, because yeah. your brain doesn't pay attention to the don't bit. You've yeah. just, you've basically highlighted the drink, and then that's all you can think about. And what we, we me and the neuroscientist, it's, he's called Dr. Ian Price. I shouldn't keep calling him the neuroscientist, although, you know, when I first met him, I wrote a children's version of my book, which is how I met Ian, by the way. And um, the publisher asked asked for it to be going um, critically um, assessed by a neuroscientist and a psychologist. Can you imagine what that did to my imposter syndrome <laughs> when a proper neuroscientist was asked to read it? But it turned out that Ian absolutely loved it um, and he got in touch and we set up the 52 Project together. And the 52 Project is all about habits and... Because um, in lockdown, what people probably don't appreciate, they appreciate a lot of the like restrictions and they get that. But they're like, oh, what? why do I now feel so unmotivated to do things? Or, you know, why can't I get into like good habits when I've got all this time on my hands? And, and the answer is found in science that we've, we've got we've got different chemicals in our body at really simplistic level. And and what lockdown has done to us is suppressed some of the chemicals that we need to feel motivated and to feel happy. And it, it's simply about, for example, oxytocin we get from physical contact with people from hugging. Yeah. We've not been able to 
do that. So it stands to reason you've got less oxytocin in your body. Well, we were thinking, what if people just knew that that was a thing? So therefore, you don't, you're not surprised that you feel a bit isolated, even if you can now see people again. And what if we help them to understand it's a, it's a chemical thing and it's a brain thing? And actually, there's some really simple things that you can do to boost your oxytocin levels. And we had this idea, and it was it was last. The reason we called it the 52 Project is we're running a, an Instagram every Friday at 10 for a whole year, and we started in January. And we just do one on a Friday over a cup of tea. We say we're changing the world one cup of tea at a time. And yeah. um, what we're trying to do is give people not complicated things like this week, for example, we're doing intermittent fasting. But we're not doing like the five two for the rest of your life. We're saying, do you know what? If you just stop snacking a bit earlier and then you have your breakfast a bit later and don't have milk in your tea first thing, that you've probably done 12 hours. And 12 hours is quite good for your body and your brain. And here's why. So all of our tips are like so simple. The first tip that we did back in January was cold water. And you might know about this, but cold water is so well indicated for lots of brain chemicals. There's lots of research that suggests it prevents dementia. And and you're going, well, why don't people know about cold water? Well, they do, but they're going, well, can you imagine in January going down to a river and having a cold swim? I mean, I'm I'm quite brave, but it's like you've got to have real commitment. And you know what your brain does? It says, oh, do it tomorrow. Well, what what we researched was that 30 seconds in a cold shower after your hot one gives you nearly as much benefit. So we're like, well, why don't we just tell everybody about the cold shower thing? Because that's 30 seconds. And there's just pictures of us like doing that with our, yeah, with yeah. our own showers so that you can't possibly, you know, because you'll tell yourself, oh, not today, it's a bit cold outside. And it's all your brain lying to you, as you know from your neuroscience. But we've tried to make the tips so simple that you can just, they're, they're daily life tips. So it's like real science, but made so simple. And we help people to understand why, even if it's simple, you're not a loser if you don't want to do it. You're just a human being who's got really good wiring at making excuses for you to not get round to the things that would do you good. <laughs> and I think once you understand that science, as you say in your head, you can use it for all sorts of things, can't you? So you've been using it for addiction. I use it for leadership development. I use it for growing talent. Um, and do you know what? I've coached all over the world in lockdown, um, Stuart. It's been such a privilege. I've had clients in China, India, senior leaders, and I use the same science with those senior leaders globally than I do with my kids and my godchildren and, you know, my friends. It, because we're all human beings, aren't we? And I think sometimes we, we make too much of the differences between us. Yeah. And fundamentally, we've got the same, you know, everybody's got different wiring, different neurons. We've got billions of them. Yeah. But people have got the same thing between their ears yeah. and we're not is the conclusion that I came to over lockdown having thought that I was going to you know have very different experiences by coaching people globally in a pandemic no same stuff so um so we started it as, as I said in last January but we had a bit of an idea that um the last thing we wanted was for people to feel guilty about not doing one of the tips so yeah, we can tell you that having a 30-second cold shower is good for you. But the last thing we wanted is for people to feel guilty because then that guilt 
lowers your chemicals again. So you don't feel your serotonin. If you're feeling bad about yourself, you're already low on them and we didn't want to make the problem worse. So we thought, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll have a pass option. So we, we thought we'll have a play option. So you're like, oh, you give it a go. We have a pass option that you can go, well, it's not for me, but I'll give that one to a friend because that's a really good idea for them. Or we'll have a guilt-free pay option. So if you just go, Dulcie and Ian, there is no way I'm turning my shower to cold for 30 seconds. No chance. We want that to be guilt-free. So we said, for every tip that you don't want to do, why don't you give us a pound and we'll give it to the Big Issue Foundation. Brilliant. So, so we've got play, pass, pay. Brilliant. And, uh, What's the downside at the minute is people have tried most of the tips, so we've not raised as much money as we wanted to. It's so we've just good. been rallying around people now yeah. and say, "Look, then we're now on tip twenty-seven. Are you sure you've tried them all, or do you owe us a bit of cash?" Yeah. So at half the halfway stage, we've gone back and just reminded people. But we're just saying, just just give us a pound for yeah. each tip you don't want to try, because we we know that people are really strapped for cash at the minute, but. It's just a bit of fun if you can give us a pound. It, it feels a bit less light or a big donation. So we're just kind of, you know, sending the bucket round now. But we thought it was a lovely way to just um, give something back, but also crucially make it guilt-free. Because then you feel good about giving the pound and you don't yeah. feel bad doing the cold shower. Yeah. And, yeah, so, and I've, I've been a big, I found a big issue foundation for a while. They, um, I did a project for them in lockdown. I, I created a set of playing cards. Um basically i am rubbish at history so you know when you're doing a quiz and and like history comes up and people think i'm good at english i'll be good at history because it's like yeah old books yeah and i've got this massive gap in my knowledge that i go i've got no idea who the king or queen was when shakespeare was on the throne so what i said i was going to do in lockdown was um like you know in your history classroom do you ever remember them? they had the stuff around the walls yeah and I said to my husband and the kids, I said, I'm going to do a version of that while we're locked down. What I'm going to do is, like, write all the years since, like, maybe 1300 round the lounge wall. And I'm going to put post-its up. And I'm going to start with post-its in my favourite books. Because then I'll be able to remember when they were actually written. Because then there's something about my head, Stuart. I can't remember numbers very well in the right order. I'm wow. brilliant with words, but I can't remember numbers very well. So I thought, if I've got post-its up, I'll be able to visually see when Jane Austen wrote Emma. And when George Orwell wrote Animal Farm, and I'll remember, and then I'll put which king or queen was up in a different right. club post-it, and then I'll put which historic events were happening. And I was getting so excited about my like post-its, and my kids were going, "So you're going to turn our lounge into a history classroom with loads of post-its?" I'm like, "Yeah, it'd be such fun!" And they're like, "Going." We hate living with you. You're just, you're just mad. And and I was going, oh, be fine. And and the kids then started talking about they were just going to get the ladders out and they were going to take my post-its down. And my husband, who's six two to my like five two and a bit, just said, "Kids, don't worry, I'll be able to reach." And I was like, really cross because I thought this was a really cool idea. And it was around Mother's Day, and I was looking for a set of playing cards for them to buy me, because I really like playing cards. And I thought, oh, we might play cards in lockdown, similar to you. We yeah. will order the telly. Couldn't find a set of playing cards I like, so I thought I'd really like to have something that's quite beautiful. And, you know, maybe it, it may, I was looking, maybe I could get ones with artwork from the back or something. Then I suddenly had an idea. I'll bodge those ideas together, 
So I came up with a set of playing cards where the, um, the hearts are literary authors. So it goes from Chaucer right through to George Orwell. And if you're therefore collecting a run, you get to know that Shakespeare, yeah. um, you know, was was kind of who who came before and after because he's the three. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. I thought that was quite good. And then when you're collecting the aces, if the ace is Chaucer, well then you've also got another ace of, of clubs. I think it is that's Richard the Second. So if you're collecting aces, you get to know that Chaucer and Richard the Second were around the same time. Right. So I thought. Genius. So I, I got my friends involved. We run a company called Noodle Fuel, and we 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 created these playing cards. You can actually buy them. Right. So uh, I should send you a set, and then because at the minute you'll be like, I still don't get what she's on about no, here. But when it, you get see them, people are like, Oh, I get it, I get it. Yeah. And yeah. Every pound we raise, we would send a pound to the Big Issue Foundation. So again, I've done something else in lockdown, so they were front of mind for me. So. Um, yeah, I've, I've supported them for a long time as well as Haircuts for Homeless. So, yeah, um, yeah they, they were my crazy lockdown projects. Yeah. Um, do it. Um, playing cards and good health habits that don't take ages. <laughs> well, going back to the showers, have you, have you, you must have heard of Willem, is it Willem Hoff? Yeah, yeah. Amazing guy, Yeah, he's I mean, amazing. You know, he's, he a, amazing. he's another level, isn't he? He's like, because uh, a friend of mine's got a podcast, Scroobius Pit, um, and he had him on, and it's a, it's fascinating. Oh, you'll uh, have to send me that one. I love him. I'm following him on Insta. Yeah. But he's a dream, isn't he? And we don't all live in that beautiful place where That's you can just the thing. Yeah. river. Yeah. Um, so we were, and we were just thinking, you know what? What, what's, what? And we do that with all our tips, Stuart. It's what's the easy version of the tip? Yeah. So as yeah. opposed to like extreme one what's the everyday one that me or yeah. you could go well, I i'm think, right for this but it doesn't take very long i think it's crucial as well that that yeah because it's the, <laughs> the thing is if you if you aspire to be willem hoff or you know like you're not going to do anything which well i can't do that so i'm not going to yeah. obviously i won't do anything but i love yeah. what you're doing because it's in yeah but you can you can have a cold end to your shower we yeah can do that you know i'm gonna i'm gonna do it later you know like i'm gonna Make sure I do that later. We've had some belters. Another really popular one, which again anybody can do, is before you get out of bed, have a pint of water, and and it just requires you having a pint of water the night before by your bed. Because if you stand up and go, I'm going to drink some more water. By the time you've got down to the kitchen to go and get yourself a pint of water, two or three other things have happened. So the simple tip is either in a cold flask if you like cold water, but I just have my normal, you know, normally a beer glass. Um, just by the side of my bed the night before and literally before I get out of bed before I'm even awake I just neck a pint of water and it's so easy to do but there's some amazing science about how um, a lack of water so being dehydrated just affects your capacity to think and it affects your capacity to think before you get thirsty so it's just one of those things that means that you can be a bit more you know cognitively ready to go but it's really easy to do. Whereas, you know, I know loads of people that said, oh, must drink more water and then end up getting to three o'clock and going, crikey, I've not drunk very much water today. And we, we, we're trying to make it like, it's like a no-brainer. It's too easy to not do. Yeah. No, I love it. So you said as well that you support, you know, like that you, 
you support, you know, uh, the big issue and, and, and haircuts for homeless. What, what initially attracted you to our charity? So yours I saw on the telly, um, I think it was. It was, it was, um, it would have been a Friday or Saturday night. We were just watching something on the telly, I think. And it just popped up as an appeal. And I just thought, what a brilliant thing to do. And it's a bit the same as what we're trying to do with the 52 Project, isn't it? It's like, we probably can't solve the homeless issue, but flipping out, what we can do is give people a good haircut so they feel better about themselves. Mm. And it's like, it, felt, it ticked all my boxes. It does no harm whatsoever. Yeah. So I'm a big like, sometimes we try and do things and, and you know, it gets political and it gets difficult. And I just thought, you know what, giving people a haircut, yeah. it just no harm whatsoever. And it's so immediate, isn't it? Yeah. And so I tell the kids about it because they, they, they become very used to me chatting to homeless people wherever I see them in the street and going to buy my cup of tea. And they start, they'll start doing it now because they've seen me modelling that, you, you know, you don't just ignore it and walk past because it's difficult because somebody looks different to you. This is a person like me or you, that, and they're more like me or you than you can possibly imagine. They're not an other. No. Um, and, and I've tried to model that. So when I tell the kids about it, they were like, that's really cool. And we were just straight away, we were just like, well, let's sign up for that because it's just like really easy. And you send a lovely email every month. And, and again, it's, it's one of those that pops in. And although it says the same thing, I just say, I always think, I'm just so pleased I do that. It's just such an easy thing to do to give somebody a haircut every month, isn't it? And that's how I feel. I like, I don't send you a million pounds. I send you enough for a haircut. But I just feel really good that every month I pay for somebody who's homeless to have a haircut. It's what's not to like. We, we have got people like yourself who have, because that was 2019 that, that advert went out. Um, yeah. And you know that have still that still help us from that point. And it's like you said, be the pound thing. You know, um, it's sometimes you know more important than a, the big donation is is a smaller donation on a regular basis because char- yeah. small charities like ours are all and specific, uh, especially since the pandemic, um, are all struggling for funding. You know, um, so the, it, it makes a massive difference that you've got that that you know that amount coming in and. Yeah. Uh, I, I am due to change. I must remember you've reminded me to change the email because <laughs> every now and then we need to change it. And I've got my sister. I'll say to her when I speak to her next, but change the email. But um, yeah, it's it's that it, it, it's really it's really appreciated, you know. Like um, and it the, the thing is, everyone who does it, like the volunteers, the team leaders, everyone's got a passion for it, and, and we all it's not we don't never reluctantly give our time to do it because it's just such a rewarding thing because you meet and as you said some of the people we meet are just there they are us they're they're us but they've got different circumstances i mean the big issue put on there i think yesterday i put out there's a family going homeless every three and a half hours now in the uk which is going to escalate now because yep. the things that were preventing landlords doing evictions are now being um, uh, lifted. So there's going to be more and more evictions. People haven't been able to pay rent. They're in, you know, and rents and the problem we've got as well, rents have gone sky high. So, yep. you know, there's not enough available rental property. The rents have gone sky high. So if a landlord, an unscrupulous landlord can get someone out that's on a fixed rent, they can then get something oh, in that higher yeah. end and this is what's going to happen 
and then the, the, there isn't the actual places for people to be put, and you will find people will slip through the net, and young families will be out there on the street. It's, it's horrific. It's heartbreaking, and I, I don't know where I got it from. I think it might have been when Sabco and Hatton was on um, Desert Island Discs, and I'd read her book, um, and I listened to, to the Desert Island Discs not long after. And I've got to say, I'm a bit embarrassed, Stuart, that I, I was one of these people probably 10 years ago that would walk past somebody who was homeless and just, you know, just chuck a bit of money in a pot and, and not make eye contact. And it, and I looked back and thought, why did I do that? And again, I go back to the neuroscience and I go, do you know what? It's, it is normal, actually, because they don't look like you. They look other. And, and therefore, I forgave myself for it. But then said, right, you now understand. And this is the thing about neuroscience, isn't it? When you understand something, you then know you've also got a choice. Yeah. So I understood my behavior that I'd rather not draw attention to. And I feel embarrassed telling you that that is what I used to do. But I'm sure that's what lots of people do. But you do have a choice. But I, I forgave myself because I understood why I'd done it. And then it. it I think when I was listening to the podcast, I was at, at the Desert Island Disc, I was thinking, well, what can I do instead? Because I, it feels uncomfortable because I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to, like, come across as patronising. I I, you know, my intentions are really good, but what can I do? And I think it was on there that you just said, you know, rather than giving, them, giving somebody the money to go and buy a cup of tea, go and buy them a cup of tea or ask them if they want a cup of tea. And just bob down at the level they're at. So if they're sat on the floor, bob down so you're at their level. You're not, you're not staring down. And just say, you know, hey, you know, do you want a cup of tea? What, what, what's your story? And I, initially I thought it's a bit strange. And will people think that's awful? And will they not want me to tell them their stories? But the stories I've heard, and actually every homeless person who I've approached has been delighted to tell me their story, delighted I've asked, but I've got to say, unless somebody had given me permission to do that and said, this will help, I'm still not sure I'd be doing it because I think a lot of people are really well-intentioned, but they don't know quite what to do. Mm. And I've heard stories about people who've come over to work, um, become evicted because their workplace was part of their home as well, mm. lost the job and lost, you know, actually they just made cuts to the workforce and couldn't afford to get home. So they're homeless in our country and they'd much rather be, this gentleman was from Italy. He was a, a wonderfully um, erudite, well-spoken man, you know, talking to me in English. And I'm, I'm embarrassed because I'm like, you're in my country, you're homeless and you're bilingual. You know, how does this work? And um, just the stories I hear just make me just even more determined in just that little way, just that day-to-day -day way to just do what I can whenever I see somebody because I've, I've never had anybody, you know, that fear you have of like, oh, somebody might be aggressive or they might be drunk. And you think they're just perceptions, they'll say. That has not been my experience. People have been really grateful to have a cup of tea and a chat with somebody who treats them like another human being. And you think, if that's the least I can do, I feel embarrassed I wasn't doing it 10 years ago. So I'm definitely going to do it now. Yeah. The most moving, I think, over all the years I've been doing it, it's just coming up for seven years now I've been doing it. And the, the most, one of the most moving things I ever saw was in, uh, we was in uh, Slough um, and we was at a session and there was, it was in a room and there was a guitar in the corner and some young kid uh, picked it up and was trying to play with it. 
And then a guy came over, he could speak no English, very quiet guy. And he said, uh, like, he was sort of saying, I'll show you. Picked it up. And he, he was just the most amazing guitar player you could ever imagine. He was playing the, the Spanish guitar and he was doing some rock and he was doing all these things. And everyone just stopped, you know, and everyone started to listen. It's, look, it's making all the hairs on my arm stand up. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was the most beautiful moment, you know, and I just thought this talent, this human being, with all this talent is hidden away here and no one knows here, you know. And that that's that you know, that'll be with me for the rest of my life that moment. Yeah. Yeah. I think do you think as well, just telling the stories, because I'm a big believer in storytellers. I, I use it a lot in my training business, telling stories and giving people permission to do things. That's you know, telling the stories is really important because we human beings, we're social creatures, we like stories. And that's why I keep repeating the stories. And, and it's why I really encourage other friends. I just, I just say, you know, if you, if you just buy somebody a cup of tea, just this week, just do that one thing. And honestly, it makes you feel really good. We've just done random acts of kindness, although we said they should be mindful acts of kindness on, yeah. on the 52 project. And we suggested that as one of the things you could do because it's, it's what, three quid? But how good you feel afterwards? <laughs> but you made somebody else feel good. And you're a bit like, well, there's... It's a bit like there's no lose here. This is like a really nice thing to have done. You feel good about yourself. You've probably made somebody's day because they've had some human contact. I remember hearing somebody talk about their experience of being on the streets and they just said, the worst thing was was being invisible. I used to go days and weeks with nobody speaking to me because I was different. And I was just, I, I just felt sick. I thought I've been one of those people that's given somebody two quids but not, not given them two quid and gone, hey, you all right? And, and even if I can't stop now, because I am quite a late person, I have been known to be late for a train, I will literally at least go, I'm so sorry I can't stop, but, you know, I hope you have a lovely day or, you know, I hope this makes a difference. So it, it, it's like I don't just go, I don't just run and pretend I've not seen because I'm conscious it's that invisibility yeah. that is the worst. It was the worst thing for this person. And, you know, you think you can see how that would be true. You can, we can cope with lots of things as human beings, can't we? But being invisible, I'm imagining is one of the most difficult. We've, we've had a little bit of flack over the years and I do understand where it's coming from, where they say about that we're exploiting people because you can see the images behind me, you know, like they, you know, saying that you shouldn't be taking images, you shouldn't be, you know, exploiting. But what I remind people of is that we're very, uh, fastidious about getting people's permission. Yeah, you know, yeah. We 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 have you know we we make sure we sit down and, and my sister does a lot of the stuff at the beginning and you know are you sure you're okay? It's going to go on our social media and that and they jump at the chance. And recently <laughs> we've had a top photographer Jack Eames uh, who's been coming along and they're thinking of making a table book for the charity. Oh. And yeah. it started off it, like because and the Lee, there's Lee Keats, the session stylist as well, and he's he's really good at picking up the little words and stories. So it's it's we're, we're putting it together at the moment, but and it started off with lots of pictures of like us working, but it's evolved into more pictures of the people themselves. There's a few yeah. of us working, but more more of the portraits of the people, and we've gone to places and he set up his backdrop, and I've thought no one would want it. 
you know, I thought they'd be private. It wouldn't be, you know, a lot, so many have jumped at the chance. So many have, you know, and we, we had a, um, a session in Peterborough where we worked with um, street working girls, right? And I just said to him, look, come along, but I don't think anyone would want a picture taken. They nearly all wanted their picture done. They all wanted, and the, the, it started off, they're very, they've got a very hard exterior, these, these girls at the time, you know, because it was a very hard life. But they turned back into young girls. It yeah. turned into like a, like a hen party or a pre-drinks party, you know, like, and they was having their hair done and they was, we had some products to give them and then getting the photo done, you know, and it, it, it but then it captures the real essence of the people. Yeah. And it makes them humans, that you're seeing a human being, you know. Um, we're, we're, we're hoping to do, you know, like get that together before the end of the year, but. I will, well, let, let us know because um, I'd love to give you, I'd love to, if you're going to have corporate sponsors, for example, I'd love to join in somehow and maybe spread yeah. the word. Yeah. That would, um, yeah. It's, it, I think it's a lovely idea. And I think, do you know, sometimes people are quite critical, aren't they, about things? That, because we, and again, that's normal. We, we have a negativity bias in our heads and we look at things and we go, oh, that's not right because, and we've made a judgment. And then we just build up evidence for what we believe to be true. And I think hopefully what you've done just there is just explain why, even if people might have that perception, it's not actually true because we can get really drawn into like jumping to conclusions or making judgments about things. Yeah. And I think sometimes you do have to go, well, this is not exclusive. This is about helping people to feel like an individual who matters. And actually having your picture taken when you've had a haircut is an indication that you matter to someone, isn't it? Yeah. It, it, and actually, if that's how the recipient feels, that's the only thing that matters. It's the um, only thing that concerns me. It's, uh, <laughs> it's the only thing that concerns me, you know, yeah. uh, is, is then. It's what, what they feel, what they want. Uh, it, to be honest, if, if, if the majority said, no, I don't want it done, we wouldn't even take photographs. You know, they're, they're, they're great for... Uh, sending the message out but if no one wanted it done we wouldn't do it so there's the evidence of how many you know we've got lots and lots go on and there's yeah. some that don't even get on there you know that, so the majority really want to be seen and if yeah. you're invisible you want to be seen 100% and I'm a big fan of evidence when, whenever yeah. I'm working with senior leaders or I've got a tricky business problem I'm like, let me share some evidence that will make it really hard for you to hang on to that view. And I think what you've just done then is going, yeah, well, okay, here's the evidence. Yeah. And really, and people will, because we are wired to still look for evidence why our previous version of the truth is real, not our evidence version. But I think the better your evidence, the better your chances of yeah. rewiring somebody's perception. So um, hopefully that that will happen for you. Well, Dulcie, we can't end it here. What what I'm going to have to do is later in the year, um, we're going to have to have a part two because oh, well, I'd love I, to. And the whole thing fascinating. Maybe we'll talk a bit more about the book. We might have a bit more sort of to talk about with that side of things. You can tell me a bit more what's going on with the 50 yeah. projects and other things um, because there's you know I, it, the time's flown by. I don't know what what time we're on. Yeah, we're we're, we're hitting the hour. Looking for an <laughs> so what we'll do, yeah, we definitely have a part two, you know, towards the end of the year, if you're up for that. Oh, I'd, I'd love to. And um, 
there's one guarantee is I'll have done something again that's a bit a bit different and a bit new between yeah. now and then because um, I just there's something about my head that just doesn't stop inventing things. I think I'm probably a frustrated inventor who's not very good with their yeah. hands. So it, it's like stuff I can do with my head. So yeah, and just honestly, let me know if there's anything that that we can do um, to support your work. So just it's just I just go back to what I said. It's a lovely charity because it does no harm and it, it you know you feel like you're giving somebody something so um you'll probably have my my haircut forever and i'll just hope it encourages other people because that ongoing support is really important isn't it because it, it's like if you're a business which charities are and people miss this you need to be able to budget don't you yeah. and somebody once said to me they said don't do the big gestures do the small gesture forever because yeah. that's the helpful thing for a charity and you can forget sometimes can't you that at two quid a month you think oh i can't you know you don't get round to setting it up yeah whereas if you realize what two three four five ten pounds a month can mean to a charity you, you forget about it because it's gone but it means it makes such oh. a difference if you can plan yeah well dulcie thank you in person finally for your support <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. Be a very interesting hour, um, uh, and also uh, we'll definitely speak to you in the future. Just over five years ago, I did something that changed my life. What it did, more than I could have ever realised, it helped me. I have met some absolutely amazing people some of the people that work in some of these places. Many of them are volunteers, but some of them, it is their job. This is more than a job, this is a calling.